today on It's Time. God never fails. So I can trust Him to fill in the things I don't know. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. and say, what, how can I be of a blessing to those that come after me or an example for those who observe me so that I'll be about my father's business? Now, Paul, as he examines the city, sees these different belief systems in place in, you might say, a magnitude proportion. It was a city filled with pantheism. They didn't worship one God. They worshiped all kinds of stuff. And so he didn't let them bother him by saying, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the resurrection was something that they just couldn't gather because they thought when you were dead, you're dead. The reason why is because hedonism, or you might say the Stoic philosophy, basically says that everything is predetermined and when your number's up, you're done. And on the other hand, those that said life is for the big party, well, if life is for the big party and you die, then what in the world could possibly be after that? There can't be any resurrection. You live once, you're dead. Life is short. Well, so they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This is Mars Hill, and some of your Bibles will read this way. It was a place where they came together and just discussed ideas. It was kind of, you might say, an intellectual think tank of the day with religion thrown in, too. And they took him there. And they said, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Now, I I think this is good because here, Paul, in his presentation of his life and the gospel, caused them to say, tell us more. Friends, that's good. When you're witnessing, you want somebody to say, really? What else do you know? Tell me more. Because I think that really shows that there's an interest. Something that was said, something that he did, sparked their interest to want to know more. For you have, you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. This Jesus and resurrection from the dead. What, what's that? Now, friends, sometimes in your life as you share your faith... You may share your faith one day, but your friends will ask the questions concerning what you told them 
a day or two later or a week later or a year later or when they're in a crisis in their life. Sometimes it'll be when they call you on the phone five years from when you talk to them about the Lord. I don't have time for that religious junk. And they call you on the phone all humbleized, and you say, what's going on? Oh, I just got back from the doctor. Says I have terminal cancer. What's this Jesus thing you know about? It's true. I've had it happen to me. People call me up, people that didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus or myself because of Jesus. And then when they're at death's door, they all of a sudden say, what do you know about life hereafter? So, you're bringing some strange things right here. Strange things. That's true. Not things you normally hear. You you know why? Because the world doesn't offer any hope. (laughs) You do. That's some strange things in a world where there is no hope. Well... For all the Athenians and foreigners were there, spent all their time literally in, no, in nothing else but to either tell or hear some new things. Itching ears. <laughs> they, they, they all got together. The, the whole thing for being there was just to hear some new idea, some new twist, none, some new philosophy. They were all there blogging. Texting one another without computers or without cell phones. <laughs> they just got together in this big thing. And they said, what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, what do you think? I'll have another latte, please. No, and, and they would just get together and they would do this. And this is how they communicated. This is how they'd get their ideas. And then you'd kind of build your own religion. You know, like a smorgasbord. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like a little of that. I like a little of that. Oh, that gold idol. That's pretty cool. And this is kind of the way they did this. There really wasn't any absolutes. Why wasn't there any absolutes? Too many gods. Whenever you have too many gods, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, The word pure in the English, (laughs) I think it's funny. (laughs) In the Greek, no, in the English, it means undiluted. When you see something that says, Pure soap or pure milk, you know that it hasn't been cut with fillers or there's not a bunch of water in the milk or something else. I always wonder what iced milk is. That's one thing. You know, that's kind of replaced ice cream for the calorie conscious people. But when they came out with imitation ice milk, that really scared me. But anyway, that's another whole thought. Dirt road, sorry. When something says pure, it means it's undefiled. It's not, blessed are those on pure heart, they'll see God. When you look one direction, you will see God. If you're looking a lot of directions, you will be confused. See, that's one of the problems that oftentimes happens with people in their quest to know God. They try to do the same thing that they were doing here at Mars Hill. They were trying to sample from a lot. Well, I like a little of Buddhism, and I like a little Hinduism, and I like a little Christianity. And, you know, Jesus, he was a great teacher, like Buddha, Muhammad, you know, all the other. And, and they try to homogenize this. And the truth is, Christianity will not mix with anything. This is why, in the tribulation period, the tribulation saints are martyred, even though there is a world religion. And the reason why is because Jesus said, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So in that one verse, Jesus categorically said all the other religions of the world are false. So we have an issue. We have a problem in trying to bring all religions under one roof. It doesn't work. So 
He tells us here. They came together to hear some new thing. A lot of confusion. Well, look what he says. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Mars Hill, hill of the area, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, your old King James will use the word very superstitious. There's other words. But basically, he's saying, I see you guys are excellers at spiritual desire, is what he's saying. Now, a couple of things, and let's look at this. If you like to make notes, you can do that. The first thing Paul did is he sized up what they were. He understood the Stoic and the the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophy. Paul was schooled by Gamaliel in in, uh, the best Hebrew rabbinical schools that there was. So Paul was no slouch when it came to understanding spiritual things, understanding the ideas and the philosophies of the world. He could have reason with them philosophy. He did not do that. He does not do that. The second thing we find here is it says he stood up. He was bold in his approach to what he had to say. Number one, be bold in your approach concerning God. Don't be timid. Well, I, I, I know Jesus. You know, you don't have to do that. Say, well, you know, God can change your problem for you. Really? Why? Because we present that. By the way, if you're trying to sell anything, you know, I don't think you really want this car. You know, if (laughs) that's not the way you sell a car. Well, remember, if you're not sold in your relationship with God, how are you going to sell anybody else? If you're not convinced that God is the God of love and God of creation and God of wonders, how are you going to convince anybody else of that? So first of all, you have to establish in your own heart, hey, yes, God is real. I've seen his work, his wonders to perform. He's proved himself to me, and I'm going to prove to you that God is real. You say, hey, I want to hear about that. You see, because you're presenting a risen Savior, not a maybe Savior, not a spiritual essence savior you're presenting a real person that died on the cross for them so he stood up in the midst of them men of athens i perceive in all things that you are very religious he didn't say i perceive you're very stupid i perceive you're very pagan he didn't insult them in his bridge building okay I think this is important because we we begin to see here, you might say, some ways of sharing the gospel. Now, there are those that will argue, well, there wasn't a lot of people saved there. I do not believe that was because of Paul's presentation of the gospel. I believe it's because this was a town that was filled with many gods. And because of that, people were confused. In fact, actually, Athens later on became you might say, Christianized under the Roman Empire. But idolatry was so deeply embedded in the Athenian mentality that they could not really ever shake, you might say, the idolatry ideas. And so many of those ideas bled over into the church. And we have sometimes even idols, sometimes even in the church, certain groups uh, have that. So he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious For as I was passing through, considering the objects of your worship. Now, friends, this is really important. 
He was thinking the way they perceived God. If you're going to try to reach out to somebody that was raised in a cult, think a little bit the way they do, because that will help you in your ability to bridge the to to uh, build a bridge, so they will understand God's love. See, again, when you talk to people in cults, they use the same words that we do. They speak of heaven, hell, heavenly father. Um, uh, they, they speak of salvation. They'll speak of baptism. But when you get down to really defining what those words mean, biblical Christianity versus what they believe in their organization, cult, or whatever, completely different definitions. So in, in speaking to people sometimes, we have to be careful that we don't take for granted that they use the same definition that we do. Well, do you believe in Jesus? Well, of course I believe in Jesus. You do? Well, well, um, uh, he's the Savior. Yes, he's the Savior. But when you ask them, now let me ask you some questions here. Who is Jesus? Well, he's God's son. Okay. Because, by the way, they'll also say all of us are God's sons as well, so you got to be careful there. Well, let me ask you a question. Was he God? No, he wasn't God. He was God's son. In fact, one of many of God's sons. Uh, Jesus just had a way of enlightenment that was maybe a little different than perhaps Buddha or Mohammed or some of these others. And you'll find that they have these very strange ideas. So... What Paul did here, understanding that, right out of the, right out of the, right when he stood up, he didn't insult them, but he endeavors now to share with them in their mentality, in their understanding. As I was passing through, considering the objects of your worship, notice God, we worship is an unseen God. He said, objects of your worship. You'll find this in cults. And you'll find this in people that don't know God. They will have something that they reference to on earth as a, you might say, an anchor point for their faith. Well, we have a temple. Or, you know, we have our creed. Or we have uh, our dress code that we have. They will anchor to something not in the invisible world. They'll always, because, you see idolatry is is necessary to remind people of their spirituality, you might say. Where we have the Spirit of God living in us, we don't need statues, pictures, or anything else. Now, if you've got a picture on the wall, that's okay. It's not a problem. But if you think that's exactly what God looks like and limited to the picture hanging on the wall, yeah, you might have a problem. So he says, as I was passing through, I considered the objects of your worship... And I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I will proclaim to you. Talk about the bridge build. He found that that they needed defined. Now, friends, when you share your faith with people, I guarantee you, much of their life is undefined. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they've been. They don't know what's after life. They don't know what's in this life. You think I'm kidding? Talk to somebody that's a devout 
enter the name there. And say, if you died today, would you go to heaven? You'll find amazing answers. They'll say, well, I've done the best I can. Well, that tells me right there, there's doubt. They don't know. By the way, if you die and you ain't going to the right place, it's too late to do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? We got a problem. You better have what the Bible calls the assurance of salvation. What's the assurance of salvation based upon? It's based upon God, not upon me or you. Because if it was based upon us, we fail. God never fails. So I can trust him to fill in the things I don't know. But they don't have that. So he says, you have this to the unknown God. He capitalized on their inability to define spirituality. Because, you see, they had all these statues to all these gods. Now, just think about it for a minute. Let's just say we were in that circle of the Stoic and the Epicureans, and all we thought was life is for pleasure, and we want to please the gods so, you know, they don't rain hail on us or burn up our crops with drought or something like that. So we, we all want to get together and do this. Now, okay, we've got one Aphrodite to the sex god, and we've got one to the Moloch, you know, what we do with all the illegitimate kids that are born. we got one, or, you know, we got all this stuff going on. Now, here's a problem. What if there's a god out there that we forgot? Boy, he's going to be mad. I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's build a platform. Don't put anything on it. Just to the unknown God. So that's kind of like a carte blanche. It'll catch anything that, that um, the other ones don't. That's the one Paul picks. You, you see, things can stay gray till you come into God. And when, they come, when you come into God, things are defined. See, You don't have to say, well, when I die, I hope I make it. You can say, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because God takes the gray and makes it absolute. He takes uh, things unknown and makes them known. Paul says, you have the unknown God. I'm going to make him known to you. Notice what he says. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now we not only find this in 1 King when Solomon dedicated the temple, these exact words, we have Paul the Apostle in the New Testament saying the same thing. So anybody that thinks their building is super spiritual is not reading the Bible. God does not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. We're in a nice building tonight. Thank God for plaster two-by-fours and uh, carpet. It it keeps the wind and the snow and the heat off of us. It's a great thing. But it's a box. In fact, somebody came up to me a couple Sundays ago, and they said, I used to go to church with you guys when you were in the YMCA, and then when you went downtown and you were in the roller rink. And I, I said... I said, yeah, I I remember you. And I said, we got a new box. This is a good box. It's nice. Fans don't kick on in the middle of the service, you know, and it sounds like you're out at the airport with planes taking off. The heaters would do that. And and the other one had hardwood floors that, you know, you'd walk across and you couldn't hear anything except somebody walking on the hardwood floors. Um, And I said, "Our, our new box is really nice. But friends, that's what it is. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us. And God will live only in you 
and in heaven. Now we know that he takes up his residence inside of us. You say, Mike, why is that important? You'd be surprised how many people in our town do not know that. They think that somehow a building is spiritual. No, I think we need to have respect for this building the same as we would for anyone that comes over to your house. You wouldn't come in and on your brand new carpet, eat a bunch of Doritos and drop them in the rug. You wouldn't bring your Pepsi in there on your new sofa that's leather and spill it on the couch. So we want to have the same respect for that. But the reason, again, we've been over this a lot of times, the reason this building is holy is because holy people are in the building. You take the holy people out of the building, it's a room of two-by-fours, sheetrock and carpet and chairs and things like that. You say, well, that seems to be so elementary. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many people don't know that. So Paul starts off with these who were... Now, you have to understand the mentality here. They were visually oriented to worship God or to think about God, okay? Visually tied. We as Christians, we're not so much. We can be, and there's different groups that are. But... We as Christians, primarily, the Bible says we're two agree, or two are gathered uh, in my name. There I am in the midst. Uh, we don't need a, a fancy building for that. And, and if you're less than two, you know, two or more gathered in his name, he's in the midst. If it's less than two, if it's just you, then it's the personal relationship with God in which God speaks to you. So understanding that then, he was addressing a group of people who were sight-sensitive towards religious things. And notice he says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Again, they had temples everywhere. They had temples to Apollo and all these others that they they worshipped. And he says, who God made. Now, again, we, we see this whole idea of evolution attacking God making everything. You see, the, the Stoics and, the, uh, and you might say the, the Epicureans simply believed everything always was. You see, there, it was all predetermined. It, 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 everything always was, it always will be. And there's, again, you're just a moment, you're a speck on the, on the timeline of eternity. Well, the problem with that is then what do you have to look forward to? Well, he says, God made the heavens and the earth. Boy, I'll tell you, that's pretty impressive. Even Hubble spacecraft keeps sending back pictures, about worn out, but sends back pictures of things we've never seen before. We realize just how great our expanse of the heavens are. And the earth and all of its intricacies and how there's the symbiotic relationships between plants and animals and how they all had to be created at the same time for that to work. Notice he also says, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives gives to all life breath and all things. Notice he says, he is not worshipped with men's hands. This is not talking about lifting your hands up to the Lord. This is saying that God is not worshipped with the carving of images that you would make with your hands. This is the mentality what he's saying. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, 
you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.